Hey there! We are the representatives of the young generation. We care about global issues such as ecological problems and human rights inequality. We believe that little changes, especially in thoughts and opinions, can be a reason of this world becoming a better place. Let's protect our home as if it was our mother. My name is Annie and my knowledge about nature is not much than yours. However, don't you mind if we will learn together? Hello everybody, I'm so glad to say that this is our second episode of our podcast which is called You Have a Mother. So today we're gonna talk about ecological feminism aka ecofeminism and now I'll try to explain what is it. So this is a branch of feminism that examines the connections between women and nature. Its name was coined by French feminist Françoise de Bonne in 1974. Ecofeminism uses the basic feminist tenets of equality between genders, a revaluing of non-patriarchal or non-linear structures, and a view of the world that respects organic processes, holistic connections, and the merits of intuition and collaboration. To these notions, ecofeminism adds both a commitment to the environment and an awareness of the associations made between women and nature. Specifically, this philosophy emphasizes the ways both nature and women are treated by patriarchal or male-centered society. Ecofeminists examine the effect of gender categories in order to demonstrate the ways in which social norms exert unjust dominance over women and nature. The philosophy also contends that those norms lead to an incomplete view of the world and its practitioners advocate an alternative worldview that values the earth as sacred, recognizes humanity's dependency on the natural world and embraces all life as valuable. Ecofeminism, an attempt to outline a new utopian horizon addressing the environmental issue from the categories of patriarchy, androcentrism, care, sexism, and gender. So now I will give you some examples of ecofeminist movements and one of them is the Shipko Andalon movement in India, a forest conservation movement that was led by indigenous women who were affected the most by the rapid deforestation in the 1970s. Another example is the Green Belt movement in Kenya, founded by Wangari Maathai in 1977. This was set up to respond to the needs of women in rural areas of Kenya who reported that water supplies were drying up, food supplies were no longer secure and they had to walk further and further to get firewood for fuel and fencing. The modern ecofeminist movement was born out of a series of conferences and workshops held in the United States by a coalition of academic and professional women during the late 1970s and the early 1980s. They met to discuss the ways in which feminism and environmentalism might be combined to promote respect for women and the natural world and were motivated by the notion that a long historical precedent of associating women with nature had led to the of both. 
The central thesis of ecofeminism consists in saying that there is an analogy, similar characteristics between the exploitation of women and that of nature, the lack of respect for them, the place assigned to them, the rendering invisible of their work, their production, and so on. Pandava Shiva, for example, drew a parallel between the monitoring of pregnant women by technoscience that allows the selection of foetuses and the way scientists try to dominate and shape nature, eliminating wild plants for the expansion of monocultures. Ecofeminists show that these oppressions are connected, that they reinforce each other in patriarchal culture, but it is through very concrete struggles that they have come to articulate feminist and ecological issues, to that intersect the battles against the dominations suffered by women in nature and thus allow their emancipation. Ecofeminism developed through the collective, inventive, creative, non-violent experience of women and not theoretically. Early work on ecofeminism consisted largely of first documenting historical connections between women and the environment and then looking for ways to severe those connections. One founder of ecofeminism, theologian Rosemary Ruther, insisted that all women must acknowledge and work to end the domination of nature if they were to work toward their own liberation. She urged women and environmentalists to work together to end patriarchal systems that privilege hierarchies, control and unequal socio-economic relations. By the late 1980s, ecofeminism had grown out of its largely academic environment and become a popular movement. Many scholars cite the feminist theorist Anastra King as the cause of that popularization. In 1987, King wrote an article titled What is Ecofeminism? that appeared in The Nation. There she challenged all Americans to consider the ways in which their belief systems allow for the exploitative use of the earth and the further oppression of women. With the help of King's article, the concept of ecofeminism grew both in support and philosophical scope. As ecofeminism continued to develop, it witnessed the first of several splinterings. By the late 1980s, ecofeminism had begun to branch out into two distinct schools of thought. Ecofeminism and cultural ecofeminism. Radical ecofeminism contend that the dominant patriarchal society equates nature and women in order to degrade both. To that end, radical ecofeminism built on the assertion of early ecofeminists that one must study patriarchal domination with an eye toward ending the associations between women and nature. Of particular interest to those theorists is the ways in which both women and nature have been associated with negative or commodifiable attributes while men have been seen as capable of establishing order. That division of characteristics encouraged the exploitation of women and nature for cheap labor and resources. Cultural ecofeminists, on the other hand, encourage an association between women and the nature. They contend that women have a more intimate relationship with nature because of their gender roles, family nurturer, a provider of food, and their biology, menstruation, pregnancy, and lactation. As a result, cultural ecofeminists believe that such associations allow women to be more sensitive to the sanctity and degradation of the environment. 
They suggest that this sensitivity ought to be prized by society insofar as it establishes a more direct connection to the natural world with which humans must coexist. Not all feminists favored the bifurcation of ecofeminism. Some women, for instance, worried that cultural ecofeminism merely enforces gender stereotypes and could lead to further exploitation. Others wanted a greater emphasis on nature-based religion, while still others insisted that a celebration of Western organized religions could accommodate nature-based worship. Those same groups also differed with regard to the romanticization of nature and the roles that various practices, such as vegetarianism or organic farming, ought to play in the application of ecofeminist principles. As a result, the movement continued to grow and expand in order to accommodate those variations, and most self-identified ecofeminists celebrate the myriad definitions and applications available under the general rubric of ecofeminism. So what can we say about ecofeminism's future? Many women remained unsatisfied with the limits of the movement. Of particular concern was the failure of women in developed countries to acknowledge the ways in which their own lifestyles were leading to further degradation of their counterparts in less developed countries and of the earth as a whole. Women from developing countries pointed to the effects of commercial food production, sweatshop labor and poverty of their families and their landscapes. Thus, contemporary ecofeminism must be developed to acknowledge the very real effects of race, class, ethnicity, and sexuality on a woman's social position. Women involved in environmental justice issues and women representing minority cultures have worked to establish their own sense of ecofeminism to include local cultures and spirituality, a celebration of their roles as mothers and caretakers, and the recognition of the ways in which Western colonization compromised those beliefs. Many ecofeminists were also concerned with what they saw as heterosexual bias in the movement insofar as ecofeminism appeared to privilege the experience of heterosexual women over homosexual women. To correct the problem, an emerging school of ecofeminism emphasized the need of incorporating the tenets of queer theory into the precepts of ecofeminism. They contended that if ecofeminism is indeed committed to fighting against systems of oppression and domination, then the movement must also acknowledge the ways in which sexuality, and more specifically, responses to that sexuality also figures as oppressive mechanisms. Thus, the redemption of women's roles and opportunities must also include a valuing of sexual differences as well as differences in race, class, and gender. Ecofeminist scholars often contend that the great plurality of beliefs within ecofeminism is one of the movement's greatest strengths. They note that myriad definitions and applications, which sometimes complement and sometimes conflict with one another, demonstrate the liberating and inclusive aspect of the movement. They also point to the important commonalities shared within the various schools of ecofeminism. All ecofeminists, they say, work toward the development of theory and action that acknowledge the problems inherent in patriarchal and hierarchical systems. They advocate the revaluing of science to acknowledge the role of subjectivity and intuition. They also support the creation of a new worldview that celebrates all biological systems as inherently valuable. Finally, they insist on solving those problems through affirming and non-violent means.
So today we have found out what ecofeminism is about and also we've got to know that ecofeminism witnessed several splinterings and in general what ecofeminism stands for. As a conclusion, I would like to ask a question. What is ecofeminism for you and do you support it? At the end of it all, don't you have a mother? Let's save the earth, innocent creatures and humanity at least for future generations. Thank you, dear listener, for being with me today. Follow You Have a Mother on Instagram, listen to our podcast every week, and share it with your buddies. We would be so glad if you did this. Take care, and bye for now.